that's there. <laughs> Pause a minute. Think about what we just heard and just sang. And we say, Amen. There's one on every hymn in this book. <laughs> Thank you. You may be seated. I thought we might go down, since mm-hmm. if you want to, while John speaks. Yeah. Okay. Thought we might go down while John speaks. As I ask the Lord, uh, who He wanted me to uh, check with to see if they uh, would be willing to present a message in this reunion. Uh, they, I think, are appearing in the order in which I asked them. Was Brother Reimar first, and then Brother uh, Dr. Round, uh, Rodney Taylor uh, was next, and then I believe Brother John was next, and then Pastor John, and all of them said they'd be willing to do as God helps. And so, I want to review as briefly as I can the first time I met John Cullen. In those days, Revolve for Our Day had quarterly meetings at various places where Reverend Helm was in a revival or uh, somewhere as the Lord uh, opened and made the way. And he happened to be in a revival, help me, at Big Lake Church of God up north. And uh, so uh, we were having that uh, quarterly afternoon, Saturday afternoon meeting, and uh, uh, John Langdon, he was here last night, uh, he, he just not too well. Uh, he and Jane and Marilyn and I were on our way. Uh, we arrived, and I did not know, now am I getting this straight, that John had just a few days before, or maybe a day or two before, Entered the kingdom. Just the night before. And I didn't, I, I was not aware of it. I know that prayer had been made for him and times past and different things. His name had been brought to my attention and we would endeavor to pray for him. Well, I'll, I'll, I don't know that I can say enough to introduce Reverend John Lee Cullen. Welcome to our living room. I love small groups. So I only see 20 of you here tonight. Jeff Cohen was a second generation South African Orthodox Jew. His predecessor had escaped Lithuania and the pogroms there. He was raised in very strict Jewish schools. At home, the practices were absolutely orthodox, including the phylacteries, the binding of the word before the, uh, the, the, the forehead and on the, on the arms. According to his testimony, Jesus was never an option. 
He was the God of the Gentiles, the God of those who tried to kill his ancestors. He was very clear about that, very close to anything to do with Christianity. He is deeply affected in South Africa by the anti-Semitism of the Dutch Reformed Church. These were the people who hated Jews. So why would he want to have anything to do with this Jesus? He made Aliyah to Israel and fulfilled his military duties. One day, he was walking in Jerusalem. He came through the Jaffa Gate, Christ Church on the left, Citadel on the right. And in his own words, he says, just as real as you sitting in front of me, there was Yeshua, Jesus, standing in front of me. He was dressed in white, and immediately, though I knew very little about this Jesus, I knew three things instantly, instantly knew three things. The first was, wow, he looks so Jewish. Well, I, I thought he was the first Catholic. But he looked so at home in Jerusalem. The second, that had God revealing to me, it had to be him, because this is what he says, this is more than a man. Immediately I knew, this is more than a man. And the third thing I knew was that he knew everything about me. He know, knew everything I had ever done and ever said. And yet he loved me with a perfect and unconditional love. He spoke one word to me without opening his mouth. Which was here am I. And I understood immediately he was telling me, I am the one you have been looking for. I knew instantly that everything I could ever want or need in my life was there in him. Then suddenly, as swiftly as he appeared, he was gone. I searched everywhere for him. Then I looked to the high wall opposite Christ Church, and he was walking along the wall of the old city. He wasn't looking at me. In fact, he was proceeding as if I didn't even exist. I thought, wow. I felt with him like I was the only person in the world. Now, now it's as if I don't even exist. I didn't know how to pray a personal prayer. The only prayers I'd known were the prayers I'd been taught as a little Jewish boy, prayers by rote. But in my heart I thought, oh, 
Oh, I wish you would look at me just one more time. And Jeff says, God is my witness. The second that thought came into my heart, he stopped and he turned, looked me in the eye, and without a saying a word, he communicated to my heart as if speaking with his eyes, the second you thought that thought, it was a prayer to me. I'm answering that prayer. I'm looking at you in your eyes. And he was gone. Well, I was too scared to tell anyone, he continues, I thought I was the only Jew in the world. The only Jew in the world who could believe Jesus was Messiah. How can we enter into the heart of our precious Jewish brothers and sisters 3,000 years of crushing history, longing for Messiah. And now, about the only way they can identify themselves as Jews in the contemporary society is they're not Christians. That's their definition of Judaism. I'm not a Christian. That defines me. They may not practice Judaism, they may be totally secular. But they're not Christian. Very distinct. So imagine him stepping out in an instant of 3,000 years of crushing weight of tradition, totally identifying him. We don't have this in our culture. We have no idea what it's like to be a Muslim or a Jew and to step out of that context, because you lose everything. Your foundation, you lose every context of your communication in the society in which you live. Your family, has you have no context. You no longer have validity in your family. I can't comprehend what it means. There's a special ministry in Israel uh, who are secretly, quietly ministering to rabbis for whom Yeshua has stepped out of Torah into their hearts. And they can't deny him, but they have no place to go. They have no foundations, and they're working their way. And it has to be hidden and covered and protected. And they're ministering to them as they're birthed slowly, graciously, into this wonderful life of Messiah. Think of it. It's like being born from the dead, raised from the dead. Paul said. He thought I was the only Jew in the world who could believe in this, this uh, Jesus Messiah. At that time, I didn't know there was such a thing as Jews who believed in uh, Jesus, called Messianic Jews. Well, I couldn't tell anyone in the eye. And without a saying a word, he communicated to my heart as if speaking with his eyes, the city of Jewish believers. The, told, the leader told me about Yeshua and asked me, what, do you believe Jesus to be Messiah? Well, yes. Yes, I believe Jesus is Messiah. 
Well, he helped me see some of the scriptures out of which the Messiah stepped. And uh, as he asked me if I've ever prayed to receive God in my heart, I had no idea what he wanted. What, what did he mean? To a Jew, God's enormous. He fills everything. How can he fit in me? I'm just me. I'm an ordinary small guy. You can just hear him say it. Says, God's enormous. How can he? How can he come in me? But he showed me in Romans 9, 10, 11, to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus was Lord and has been raised from the dead and you shall be saved. Well, I had no idea that Jesus had been raised from the dead. I, not a clue. Never had heard it. Never had heard Jesus had been raised from the dead. He's 22 years old. Well, that was a hard pill to swallow. But at some point, Jeff said, I'd had to take a step of faith. I followed in the prayer he called the sinner's prayer, just repeating what he said. As I prayed, God gave me the faith to believe that he actually did rise from the dead. And my life, that one day, was totally and dramatically changed overnight. Jeff is now the Messianic pastor of, uh, of a wonderful congregation in uh, Texas. Uh, Robert Morris, is it Robert Morris, the pastor there? They have Messianic services. Uh, just stunning. I just, uh, if nothing else happens tonight, you just had to hear that. You just had, this is happening all over the world. It's happening in Muslim communities. Uh, I'd like to have read you another uh, experience of uh, a Muslim, a total community of Muslims. I'm going to tell you anyway. How about that? The story, actually, uh, I should have brought it because I said there's not time to read it, but it's too significant because one day, one day, he's going to answer your prayer. One day. Before we go there, you needn't go, go to your word, you just allow me to read it to you. In the, <clears throat> Luke... Uh, the word says, the harvest is great, Jesus has said, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. That's when he sent out the 72. I'm rather convinced after 40 years that there's more in being a harvester than simply putting on a pair of gloves and going to the field. That in his economy, there is a special procedure 
of being sent. And that much of the Christian walk is staying in the crucible of his classroom until we are ready to be sent. It's almost a contradiction because the truth that whatever is in your hand, use it. It seems contradictory, but it isn't. I think that's caused confusion in Reverend Helm's ministry through the years uh, because many have felt, haven't we waited long enough? Isn't it time to get started? Isn't it time to do something? Well, if you ever with him much, you found out he was doing about all the time. You had to work hard to keep up with him. His waiting was going at a pace that most of us uh, could not keep up with. So there is, there is both the waiting and the using what you have in hand. That balance, that tension, I think is constant in the believer's life. And you can't fall into an easy answer to one side or the other. You're kept constantly in that, that tension. Listening, listening. You can't get the degree, you put it on your wall and now I'm, I know what to do. It's, it's that on the edge expectancy. It's not tantalizing, he's just wanting us to, are you, are you there? Keeping us in tune. Earlier when he sent out the 12, in Luke 9, in my translation, I loved it because it simply said, one day, one day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples. Now before this, they had seen marvelous things. Many of the miracles in Capernaum had taken place. The paralytic healed. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, Caiaphas' daughter uh, raised from the dead. Uh, other marvelous miracles they had seen. And yet one day, they were transformed from celebrants to participants, from observers to activators. One day, just one day, meant all the difference. If they had tried on Thursday to do what he did on Friday, there would have been no power. They would not have come back excited that the, even the demons are subject to our voices, they would have come back beaten, shredded, and discouraged to the core. Well, haven't we watched long enough? We saw you doing it. You just spoke. And so we went out and we spoke. But there was one day. One day. If you forget everything tonight, remember one day, because one day is coming for you. The cries for your loved ones, one day the answer will be there. The longing in your heart to be cleansed and purified, one day, keep at it, keep at it, keep longing. One day. Keep longing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't give up, don't lessen your longing, your heart cry. 
Don't be intimidated about longing after gifts of the Spirit. We're admonished to hunger with almost a divine lust for the gifts of the Spirit, especially to prophesy. Paul said to Timothy, stir up, blow, blow on those embers of the gift that was given you. Stir it up into a flame. I don't know what that means, but I'm doing my best to try to find out what it means for me. For there's one day crying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for years, whatever that means to you. I had no idea what it meant to me, but if you cry and long for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and every healthy child of God is never satisfied with the walk he has. He is content, but dissatisfied. Hunger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For we are a dead culture, a dead church culture. We're precious, we're wonderful people, but I have seen so little of the glory of God in my life. My wife admonished me, don't be negative. I, I want to issue of one complaint. I'm not satisfied with me yet. Thank you, darling. <coughs> Brother, I forgot to tell you, would you take a microphone over to my wife just in case she wants to talk with me back and forth here? I forgot to tell you that. Thank you. <laughs> Keep hungering for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that hunger is necessary to pull us, each of us, into the next arena that he has for us. Without that hunger, we will plateau in some area and find a satisfaction that is not divine satisfaction. And if that hunger has been shaken out of you by discouragements, disappointments with yourself, with people, with congregations, with pastors, with children, with parents. I encourage you tonight, just hit the altar and cry for that longing to be stirred up again. If it's been months that you have ever felt a call to come to the altar, come to the altar and say, hit me again with your love. I need it. I need it. I don't want to be dull. I don't want to be empty. One day, he sent them out and gave authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All the difference, all the days up to this one day. All the difference in the world. From that day on, they were never the same. Never the same. I'm not going to have time to tell you a story about the, about the Muslims, so we'll have to get another appointment. Okay. I was raised in one of the most wonderful homes that and any boy could ever have in the world. 
you who knew my parents, they were just human beings. They had their failings and their, their faults. But I have to honestly say they were two of the most beautiful people in all the world. I was raised in what I would call an ideal childhood. All I knew was home, where I was loved and was happy and cared for and, and just so at peace. And at school, where I didn't have too many difficulties. And church, that was my world. Homeschool, church, homeschool, church, homeschool, church. So safe. My second year in college, between the second and third year, I took a course that uh, addressed language. For the first time, I encountered what it meant to see words in different contexts and to realize that words evolved and changed and also created change. And so the word that was so easy for me to believe because it was my father and mother's word and, and because they believed it was right and I'm sorry everyone else was wrong but we were so glad we were right. You may not have had that difficulty but I had that difficulty. I was just thrown as not, not atypically into that turmoil that many face when uh, they're challenged and their relationship with God is far below their theological opinion. And so slowly I began to drift away and from my beautiful Church of God background and the wonderful hymns and the loving people. I was uh, raised so in such purity that the only movie I saw before the age of 16, 17, 18 was Bambi. It tore me up so much I cried until they almost had to take me out of the theater. Well, you can imagine how ready I was for the world. Remember my first time going into a movie all by myself. I felt on the edge doing something risky. A junior in college. Imagine that. So I slowly walked away, and as I walked away, uh, I was privileged to be in Europe in a work camp in, in uh, Germany. International work camp severed from my culture, severed from my background. I still remember sitting against the cottage that day, smoking a pipe, looking out over the field, and a shadow just moved away. Goodbye, God. I said goodbye to God. As far as I knew, that was it. That was it. That was saying, everything I've been raised was false. 
They didn't prepare me for the complexity of the world. The amazing uniqueness of so many cultures and races. I felt betrayed. I felt disgust and loathing. I love my mother and father. But everything to do with my background, that beautiful Christian culture, began to be twisted, perverted, until in the world you were the problem. You were the ones who stood between national, international unity and understanding. You were the enemy. Somehow the enemy, I can never describe it, how this happened, put in me a hatred for everything Christian. I wanted to poison you and bomb your churches. I was a hateful, vile, unconscionable man. You have no idea who I was. And I say that not to draw attention to myself, but I want you to know how low God stooped to rescue me. And one day, for your loved ones, one day, he will be there. I know that's true. I became involved in the entertainment world. I was never uh, excellent. I was just, as most in the theatrical world are, uh, earnest mediocrities. Privileged to sing with some beautifully talented people. I can't go into all the details, but uh, in those 10 years I was gone into Boston, New York City. My mother, of course, would be praying. In 1962, I was in an accident that almost took my uh, life. By God's mercies, I was spared. But even then, I, with all the prayers, the miracles, I was untouched, returned to Boston as profligate as ever, as rebellious as ever. But my mother, uh, during this time, happened to run into the ministry of a servant of God. Reverend Robert Morgan and his wife, Dorothy, became the uh, interim pastors at the Warsaw Church of God. And he sent a little postcard to Martha's father. He said, Reverend Helm, we're here as interim pastors. Come in each and every time God would lead you. Well, he came on a Thursday night, and that was a miracle night for the Gilberts. And... Uh, just, you, you need to hear some precious things because when he sat on the pulpit that night, my mother was at the piano and he leaned over and he said, uh, Brother Morgan, who is that, uh, who is that woman at the piano? I said, the same God. Pardon? Who is that saint of God? Yes, who is that saint of God at the piano? He says, oh, Brother, Brother Elm, that's, uh, that's Ruth Cullen. I see the light of God. When he stood up to preach, my mother was unprepared. But she was raised in the early church of God. She knew the anointing. She knew the anointing. Yes. When he started, she went back. He's like a prophet. He's like a prophet. Hardly, he's like a prophet. She knew him instantly. 
yeah. without knowing him. She knew him. True. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Mm. Oh, I'm thrilled to be blessed with parents like this. My, my. Well, he came several other times. And each time, Mother would say, would you please pray for our, our precious John? So they would have prayer. I remember going down Star Drive in Boston one night, just driving along, smoking in the world, whatever you have. You, you imagine it, I was, do, I was doing it. And uh, suddenly the sorrow, sorrow, not from out here, sorrow, excuse me, hit me like that. I've been over. cry. Didn't believe in God. So I couldn't say, oh God, just crying with sorrow. <laughs> and it was gone. Well, that's blankety-blank. Something even blankety-blank. Blank. Somebody blankety-blank. I cursed about every third or fourth word. I was that ignorant. Are you Conviction. Thousands of miles away. Would you please pray for our precious John? Conviction. Walking in the old city of Boston one night. Can't tell you all the details, but just unimaginable. Walking with another man's wife. Disturbed and turmoil, and turmoil, walking the streets. Pretty soon I started to say, Bless this house, O Lord. Cursed. Walking while we talk loud. Keep it safe by night and day. Over and over. Bless this house, O Lord. God, I got angry. I said, fine, so I'm going home. I was living in a business, because uh, I had no apartment, living in a business office illegally. In the middle of the night, I hear this crashing, this roaring, light filling the room. The church next to our, our building was roaring in flames. The flames shooting up over the, over the, uh, the, the top of the building. Policeman got, uh, fireman came up there, scooted me out of there so fast. God was praying through me the very prayer of deliverance because of conviction. Now think of that. See, one day you keep faithful, God will be working where you can't be working. My mother and father couldn't touch me. They couldn't touch me. They had no influence. They lost all validity with me. I needed their love, but I didn't need their God. I wanted nothing to do with Mother would say every once in a while, when I came back to uh, rest in 1968, I was burnt out. Still remember saying, sometimes, son, I, I, I know you'll be a Christian. She looked at me so sweet, and I remember looking down at her, and it's it like she said, someday, son, you'll be a cockroach. The disgust. I wanted nothing to do. 
I can't tell you the disgust, the hatred that the enemy had gotten in my soul about Jesus. I believed in God by then, this earth spirit, this cosmic spirit. I had no trouble with God. I could even use Christ. The New Age has no trouble with God or Christ. It's Jesus they can't get down. God and Christ I could use. Jesus, nothing to do with I came home to rest, and at that time God sent Reverend Helm on, se- on several evangelistic uh, meetings, two in Co- Kokomo, one at the Free Methodist Church and then the second at Parr Memorial. So my dear brother-in-law, Tom Harmon, I want to honor his, his contribution to my life because he was, he was so used to guide me, nurture me into this, this way because I was an unbelievably obnoxious man. Deeply unpleasant at every level. So he took me to Kokomo. And uh, I had met Martha's father at one time. I'll not go into that event, but it was, well, I'll have to tell you. He came up unexpected to visit my mother and father, and my father's mother lived upstairs in a little apartment. She was a very lonely woman, just loved jokes and loved parties. She was sort of a sweet, sweet woman. And here, she was having guests in for a party. Can you imagine how she was looking forward to this? And who would show up, unannounced, uninvited? Her daddy. Oh, my. He was seated right beside the man who said, don't ever mention his name again in this house. He was seated right beside him. (laughs) Well, the party was over. Grandma would try to give a little joke and serve and serve. Here was Reverend Helms, story after story after story. I was sitting over there. And I'd start to squirm, I'd have to go downstairs and I'd curse and I'd stamp the floor and I'd hit the wall and I'd smoke until I get that feeling out. I go back up, sit down, he's still talking. Story after story about Jesus leading me. Three or four times I had to do that. Jesus later revealed if I could have stayed with him, I'd been saved that night. He swept me right into the kingdom. I didn't know that was conviction. One day, one day, God was being faithful even though I couldn't respond. So I wasted those years in between. But here we are in 68. And... uh, Tom's bringing me down to Kokomo. I came into this free Methodist church, tiny little, I think three windows on a side, you know, buildings, plastic flowers, moldy hymn books. (laughs) 
Somehow Tom took me clear on the front row. So, so here I am. Quite an inner dialogue I was having. Felt like I was dropped into Africa. I didn't know this culture still existed. It, how could it have lived past its three or four years? It was so dead when I left it, how could it still exist? I could see by their backs that they were pretty dead. I could tell that most of the couples that were sitting side by side really weren't too happy to be sitting side by side. Now the world knows pretty much what's going on between us. They can read love. So uh, I saw him, I remember him, yeah, he was dressed so nice. The rest, that woman, she's got to belong to him. She was gorgeous, beautiful silver hair. Well, I could just endure, you know, all this stuff that you have to go through before you hear someone speak. I was there because he was a psychic, as far as I knew, and I was just interested to hear him. And uh, Martha's mother's fingers hit the piano. I almost stood up. Inside, I said, what in the blank is she doing in a dump like this? The glory got in me. I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. One day, one day, the power hit me. I was so ignorant, so rebellious, I couldn't interpret. I didn't know what was going on. But they said, of all the people in the congregation, when they looked at my face, there was light on my face. That's what Mother said. She said she, when she looked, she was astounded because they knew John. You know, they just knew he was in a far country. Thank she you, said Jesus. the light was on John, and I couldn't see it on other people. So it was the strangest thing. But I, may I interject, though, about your parents be, before you get to the conversion? Because this was so significant. Mother Ruth and I had great times over this. I was privileged in 1966 see, to have, when my father said, Martha, we've been with Arlene Ruth, and they have a son, John. When that word John went right in my heart, this love fell in my heart as if it is there today. This is 1966. I mean, dear ones, I was an old time. I mean, my sister can tell you, I would have no more. I wouldn't have even stayed in a room with them. Someone that didn't believe in God, it would be beyond my brain. And here God put love in my heart for such a person. I didn't know him at all, but I just knew, you know what God would show me? Just pray for him, Martha. That's all I knew. I had no, but I knew he was in another world. But Mother Ruth said to me, she says, now, Martha, she says, you know, we've loved this child so long. He was away for 10 years. When they, I mean, they had so many different experiences because they wanted him so much for the kingdom. That's what they're yearning for. And God would help them to ask for prayer year after year, all, all kinds of situations. She said one day when he came home, she said he was reading a Playboy magazine in, in the living room, and they let him smoke too. And a lot of parents wouldn't have. But they just we're only telling you a tiny, tiny bit. Can you imagine me in my mother and father's beautiful home, sitting out smoking my cigarette, reading my Playboy? The intellectual parts, of course. 
and they allowed me. I don't know what would have happened if they put their foot down because they'd never put their foot down before. That'd been an interesting moment. But they did. But they knew what to do. Yes. God showed them. You know what? You know what Mother said? She said, you know, Martha, God just told me, Ar Ruth and Arlene, you have not given him up. You're still trying to do the work. They said, now you've loved him. You've loved him. And you have heart. got to let him go to Jesus. Take heart. your hands off. She said, Martha. I mean, she said, Dad and I got down on our knees and we endeavored to do that. It wasn't long until that one day happened. But you see, they had to go on such faith and he got so upset with them. They didn't say a word. They didn't say a word to him. So, look at that. Can't even enjoy my magazines. He went, see, the conviction was working right then. He, and Mother Ruth, they knew it, but they, they had sense enough to keep their mouth shut. They just let God work. And so this, this is so beautiful. See, because we're all got people we're praying for, honeys. All of us. You know, no matter if, you, if they're relative or if wherever, we've got people we're praying for because we want no one to miss it. So it, it's so exciting. See, this is giving us... Go ahead. Go right ahead. Pray this right. is, go ahead. People, it's in my heart. So, so you need, to, could you pray right now for... Everyone has loved ones you're longing for. And this is so encouraging because there's a key that's stirring my heart that if, if God can help you in this moment, just receive now. Receive the disconnect. It thrills me when you raise your arms. For you have no validity. Now that's the hardest thing to re receive. That is a parent or a brother or sister, a family member. You no longer have any validity. Your words don't matter. And you have to get that or you'll keep being an instrument to drive them and farther God can't away. work. God can't work. So in this moment, God is going to hear her prayer uh, for one or more of us mm -hmm. that we will release. We will take our hands off. God loves our loved ones more than we do. Yes. There is a one day in his economy for them. If we can take our hands off, and it seems like in your doing that, that you're giving up. You're not giving up. You're giving over, darling. Dear Father, we just pause here for a few moments to pray for dear loved ones, whether they're a blood relative or just extended families that people want to see saved. Lord, thank you that you're trying to get our attention to say, dear one, give that person to me so the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit can work and do the work. We can't do the work. We can, we can love, we can pray, but you have to do the, the convicting. Lord, you do it beyond, as we'll hear in a few moments, how you worked with John, my dear beloved. Lord, that you want to do a work for each person. Tonight, give people courage to say, Jesus, I'm giving them to you. I'm no longer going to, I'm no longer even going to criticize. I'm not going to find fault with them. I'm not going to do this or do that. I'm giving it to you, Jesus, and let your Holy Ghost work a holy yes, yes, work yes. in their lives that they can be drawn in. Lord, draw them in by the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to tell you, now, I give God glory. This is what's so great, dear ones. After this, you know what happened? John's sitting on the third seat third seat okay all of a sudden god is our witnesses i mean he ends up he's at, bowing at an altar and he has no idea how he got there 
You know how he got there? Because his parents were willing to give him up. God did the work. The Holy Spirit was set free. See, Aunt Mother said they, they, they let go, and God did the work. So this, this is so important. But he still was upset that he was at the altar. Do you care? May I go ahead just for a moment? This, this I, just, I just love because I'm old. I was raised old-fashioned. I, I took the name of Jesus one time, and I thought I was going straight to hell. That's how we were raised. I mean, you, and he said at the altar he was cursing. I thought, what? God didn't care. You know why? Because he loved him. So he got him there against his will. Now, dear ones, how, that's, that's not easy. And you don't want to be there. He was really trying to figure out a way to get out of there. But he couldn't. And people were irritating him beyond his comprehension. It was just, oh, one thing on another and another and another. But anyway, there he is at this altar. And his mother and father are sitting back there. They're just as quiet. You know, they, it, John said they thought maybe they'd just be screaming and jumping. But God just had to be very quiet. And, and then he'll tell uh, little by little what happened but here he is praying he it looks like he's praying but he's he's cursing he's upset he de- he doesn't like this pastor i mean the pastor was doing everything the devil was using and, and then god used the pastor to help him i said john this is so good we got to remember when you feel irritation against someone just remember nine tenths of the time god's going to help them to help you or why does that irritation come? And the, I love this story, dear ones. It gives us such hope. It gives us such, we've got something to go on. See, the enemy is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's trying to cheat us out of the kingdom. And, and after he got to that altar supernaturally, see, that's the supernatural, dear ones. My husband has no memory. See, now I, I, I'm telling you, this is exciting to me. I want to, I want to appreciate it. 40, how many years? 43. 43. There he is. He doesn't know how he gets there. He's upset, but God just got him there. It's supernatural. People don't know. He just got there against his will. Okay? Don't ever forget that. So don't, you've got hope against hope tonight. If your kids are, no matter what they're doing, no matter where they are, just take hope. God can just supersede everything. I mean, we, they didn't ex- exactly expect that. Your mother and dad, when they gave you over, they were just doing it because out of obedience. Thank you, darling. Wonderful prayer. If you have need of further prayer, meet with someone before you leave because settle, settle this tonight. Make it clear that you have detached yourself from that. From that uh, it's an addictive connection. Because of that, it's unwholesome. It's not redemptive. It is still saying, I want my way. I want it done my way or my time. And something happens not just to the situation, but it happens to you, it happens to me, when we acknowledge by our action that God loves more than we do. His plan, his purposes, and his timing. Timing is so significant in the kingdom of God. And the more we get to this end of the age, timing is even more critical. It is so pleasing to God for us to give over to his hands And then we have strength to do what we're called to do because we're investing energy that that is counterproductive and it's not bringing his kingdom about. So if you you feel that you need further prayer, please get with someone before you leave because it's it's so important that you get free so that you you can walk with God because as you walk with God, then the kingdom operates in everyone concerning you and and about whom you're concerned. Isn't that wonderful? Well, this began a series of 
of me studying this, this psychic. Of course, he talked about this Jesus in one ear, out the other. Hmm. But that first night it came down, said, I had fun with you tonight. I had fun with him that night. Well, the next night. When was it that you said you felt like you'd come home to write about his life? When was that? Just a, in a little, little bit later. That was before you were converted. Oh, yes. Now, now, dear ones, does that blow your mind? He had no more intention of anything, but it just came out of his mouth. And I, I, I see it stirs me up. See, God loves so much. He loves each of us. He doesn't love anyone more than he loves my husband. No, you, do you know that? No, we no. believe that God loves everyone the same. That's how I've been brought up. And, uh, you know, we're just all sinners. We're just all sinners saved by grace. But I love it. I love to, to, to review it because it gives us hope against hope. Thank you, darling. You, will, you just feel free, darling. At that time, uh, after the service, you'd go out with uh, various ones. And the after services were, of course, the, part of, the primary part of his ministry at that time. And uh, in the restaurant, of course, I was just going through cigarette after cigarette, asking question after question, challenging. And <clears throat> every time I'm asking a question, sometimes he'd take the Bible, and he says, well, John, and, he, and inside he'd say, I have more confidence in a comic book than this, this poor, deluded man. So he would say his words, and they would go in one ear and out the other. But when he'd tell his stories of how Holy Spirit led him. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd like to do that. Yeah. So question after question, I still remember being with Robert Boggs at Par Memorial afterwards. And uh, he began to talk about John and Charles Wesley. And again, the one day. It was different than any conversation I ever had in my life. Suddenly, I was being pulled to Robert Boggs across the table. So he was talking about these men I knew a little about. I went to church in a Methodist church as a boy. And he, he was sort of terrified of me, of course. And uh, he stopped. I says, go on, go on. And yet he said, you're not kidding me, are you? You know, he, he didn't know what, what I was putting him on. And I almost reached across the table and grabbed him and said, tell me more! I couldn't get enough of the story of John and Charles Wesley. Somehow it was putting a hunger in my soul, absolutely supernatural. See, it had nothing to do with my brain, nothing to do with my background. It had everything to do with the sovereign work of God. Entirely supernatural. One night we came out, and that's around that table. I can't imagine how, how con just a contradiction it must have appeared. Here I'm smoking this cigarette, just as, as d dissolute as any human being could be. Well, who knows, Ravenel, maybe I came home to write your life. just came out of me. Well, I'm not a writer. Never thought of writing. Never was interested in writing except little bits and pieces. One night he came out of the church and uh, 
beautiful starry night. And he says, John, I believe if you give all your ideas up, your philosophies, your ideas, you pointed to stars. He says, I believe God will give you back more than you could ever dream. I followed his arm to the skies and dropped down one of those divine moments into his eyes, the power of God. <laughs> those eyes. I, I, I wanted to dive in to those eyes. I didn't want God, but I wanted that. I didn't want his Jesus, but I had to have that. I went home that night. I walked the floor of my little room laughing, crying, ridiculous, impossible. I've got to have what he has. But I'd rather die than have it. I've got to have it. I'd rather die than have it. All night, back and forth. So the night at Big Lake, sitting just about where John is, came time for the altar call. And that was my time to put the comfort fingers on the cigarette pack. It's been a long night. It's time for a cigarette. I have to endure this junk. Got to get out for a cigarette. The pastor, Brother Blake, had a high voice. High absolutely ugly voice. There was nothing gracious about Reverend Blake. He moved like a wounded cow. Everything he did made me want to hurt him very badly. In civility, I endured him night after night. The altar call, I could think of, oh, I'm dying for a cigarette. And if you've never died for a cigarette, you don't know what I'm talking about. But when you're in a church service, you're really dying for a cigarette. And in the midst of the altar call, Brother Blake on the right side said, Brother Hale, God has shown me something in my heart. And I had to confess to the Lord. I was at the altar on my knees, an altar like this, and I had no idea how I got from there to here. His obedience to confess a sin. That's it, darling. And, and the power was there, the see? Power was the power it. hit you. Oh, I love it. 
Help us, Jesus. So here I was in front of these dumb Indiana flatheads, making a mess of myself, my butt sticking up in the air for all of them to see. Pardon the language, I never use that, but that's what I would say then, only a little more intense. <laughs> Hanging on for dear life, cursing. What in the blood am I doing here? Get me out of here, I gotta get out of here. Well, Reverend Helm knew he had to get to me quickly before someone else got there, or there would have been a riot. Someone had been bloodied, probably me and several others. If they would have touched me, hit me, didn't, didn't anything, because I didn't want anything to do with her. Jesus didn't want anything to do with him. I was filled with hatred, loathing, disgust. Reverend Helm came, got in front and began to pray, and who would follow him? down around this side. Brother Blake. <laughs> Reverend Blake. <laughs> you could hear his footsteps. And when he came, he hit the altar. Jarred me. The rage intensified. It went up another level. And again, as Reverend Helm was praying, I don't know what he was praying, about all I said, just someone get me out of here. That's all I want, get me out of here. I'm going to get out of here. And he said, Reverend Helm. Now, that was almost enough to take me up and deck him. But he continued, Reverend Helm, God has shown me that if everyone would just lift their hearts to Jesus, he would answer their prayer. Something of that nature. I was cursing this man in my heart. But when he obeyed the second time, a weight, the size and shape of my thorax, solid lead, started up. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus. Started Thank up. You, Praise the Lord. Praise started up. I came back on my haunches. The ceiling opened in light, and that weight disappeared in light. On my haunches, from cursing and raging, without asking Jesus in my heart, without confessing a sin, without wanting anything to do with God, he came into my heart. He took the sin out of my life. I was back on my haunches. My dear brother Tom beside me. I was laughing deep inside. Laughing with a laughter I'd never known before. And always in the world I was on the outside. No matter how, how amazing the events seemed to be, I was always looking in the outside. But for the first time, I was in the center swirling around me in vision were all the mysteries of the universe, art, science, mathematics, architecture, 
all swirling around me. They were beyond me. I couldn't comprehend them. I simply knew they were, they were everything I would ever want, any man would ever want to know anything about. And I was, for the first time, in the center. And the whimsical nature of God, I don't think he spoke it, but it was so vivid. He said, you're a Methodist. Oh, I'm a Methodist. I didn't know what that meant until several years later, and my wife and I were having our devotion, and she got me a little pamphlet from John Wesley. That simple little pamphlet about the characteristics of a Methodist. I began to laugh with great release. Oh, yes, now I know I'm a Methodist. <laughs> I went over to my mother and father as my dear wife has said they thought, my mother thought, surely Jesus would ever save me. She would be running the aisles. She would be shouting. They were sitting clear over on this side. I went over to them. They stood. It was so quiet in that room. It was like no one was breathing because God had stooped so low. No one knew what a miracle had just taken place. No one knew I was cursing. No one knew I was hating. No one knew that I didn't even ask forgiveness. God just did it. He just birthed me in the kingdom, bypassed my brain, bypassed everything I thought was essential, just worked right with my soul. One day, the power of God. And in that silence, that sacred silence, I moved to my mother and father, and they stood like one. And I leaned forward, and we wrapped our arms around each other. And oh, what that must have meant to them. After these years of waiting and waiting and crying. Well, for the next few weeks, my father and I had difficulty getting on work to work on time. We were reading uh, Mount Nuss Forest Highest, at our breakfast table, and we get so involved in the kingdom. I was driving with my father to his place of his work. Do you want to share real quick about how you were saved on John Wesley's heartwarming experience? Thank you, darling. Before you go too much further, I thought that was pretty sweet myself. And we learned later that on May 24th, 1968, was the 230th anniversary of John Wesley's heartwarming experience. It was my wife's physical birthday. God's timing. I think one day. That's right. And it, one day. It's so sweet because being, I was brought up in such purity and holiness, really. So to have this love fall in my heart for someone that's way far from God, I, I, I was just, I thought, Lord Jesus. But you know, God gave me the scripture. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's a scripture God just kept sharing with me over and over. So when this happened, it was if this love in my heart was for a person that never had been out in sin. I mean, it, see, that's a miracle. You can, I can say the words, but I'm telling you, dear ones, it was a miracle. That's all there is to it, because I would have been scared, terrified, and wouldn't even want to be in the room. Might have kicked him in the shins if he did one thing wrong. I might have. 
Because the men, they don't oppress me a bit. I was too, I was spoiled with two grandfathers and a father that were absolutely gentlemen. And that's exactly what I expected. None, none less, right, honey? So I'm just giving God glory. I tell you, he meets us at every level. So this is what we're, we're I think it's so sweet. To, this is, just let it give you hope in every situation. Because he can just bypass. He bypassed John's mind. There once he bypassed it. And he thought his mind was the greatest thing he had. He loved the intellectual world. I mean, he, he, this, he, this is what he thought he was going to do. So I just give God praise and glory. This is why we're reviewing this. There wants to give us what? Courage and hope. With it, this yielding to the agape, surrendering to the agape. So, you know what? So the Holy Ghost can do the work. That's and it. we That's sit back and let the Holy it. Spirit do the work. Do the calling. Do the drawing. We do the praying and the loving. Praise his holy name. That's exactly what we're trusting for. Thank you, sweetheart. The sweetness of the Holy Spirit in, in the, the way, the tenderness that he leads. So all the lessons that in your conversion, as you review your conversion, you might find lessons in the uniqueness of your conversion that have to do with your ministry, with the way God is going to use you. He often puts in the very birthing of you. Touches me, Lord, look at you. He, the very birthing of you, a, uh, an idea, a germ of, of what, how he's going to use you. And uh, as Martha has pointed out, as I review my conversion, see, he was teaching me through this beautiful, precious Brother Blake. I've never gotten to see him s since those services. I was privileged to be back there at the Big Lake Church of God uh, two weeks ago just to be at the altar and pray. But I've never gotten to thank him, but one day I will get to thank him for his two obediences Amen. that released the power of the kingdom that brought me supernaturally into the love of God. But also, in little whimsical ways, the next day was the meeting of the board of directors. And he included as a day sort of as many waiting upon God. So I got there early and went down to the basement, as I remember it correctly. I may remember some things incorrectly, but, but the essence is there. And, uh, well, when he saved me, uh, I didn't yet know about this deception locked in my heart. But I was all for God and all for the Holy Spirit and all for whatever uh, this Reverend Helm uh, was being led. That's, that's what I wanted. Uh, that I'm, I'm applying for that. I want to be led. And so I began to pray, like I thought I heard him say he prayed, about what he was to do. And so I was in the basement. I knew I was to get my Bible and pray. Oh, by the way, after 10 years of being without my college Bible, I somehow found it in, at home. And uh, after all of these years of wandering, Threw open my Bible, and I don't recommend this for serious guidance, but it's just the beauty of Jesus and his mercy. The first words that my eyes fell on after 10 years of hateful rebellion and distance from God. Has not God chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? I says, yes, here I am. Isn't God sweet? Isn't he sweet? 
Yeah, I couldn't have planned that. I wouldn't have known to plan that. I wonder what angel did that. Just turned it there. <laughs> Put it right out there. So here I am, down in the basement. I'm supposed to pray, Jesus. Where am I supposed to pray? I'm supposed to pray in this room. This room going through the little classrooms. Oh, this is a room. And I started in and I looked. Beginners. <laughs> Beginners. It says, I'm in the right room. Well, that gives you the spirit of how Jesus, I can't use the term Jesus, how God, am I running too late? Okay. See, I've lost track of time. I don't know where I am here, so I don't want to wear you out. Just one more experience that, that has been the foundation of my life. Oh, Jesus, you are so wonderful. You are so wonderful. He led me in such dear ways during those, those, those days. And hunger. Kim, you know what it's like. Oh, we could tell this man's story. I, I almost wanted to turn over my night to, to let Kim tell his story. Because it's so glorious. So glorious. But he and I have a kinship because we were so far away. And when he brought us in, he brought us in supernaturally born in white heat and uh, put a hunger in our hearts, a hunger to know him. Oh, I'd have such times in prayer and in the word and with my mother and father. In your one day, he's going to restore the years the locust and the canker worm have taken. One day, I promise you, one day, you will have fellowship if not here, in the fullest dimension. You will have fellowship with those that your hearts have broken for all these years. Oh, he restored these, these times with my mother and father. Uh, we just couldn't get away. As I said before, my, my father and I were late to work. Time after the, At work, they would just shake their heads. They knew we were going to be late. So we couldn't break the fellowship. It was so sweet. We couldn't get away from Oswald Chambers and... And your father was more interested in the kingdom than money. That's right. He was one of the greatest men that ever walked in shoe leather. His father was. Never spoke an unkind word to his wife or his sister or to these children. I am not kidding you. Never angry. Now, see, I know very few because most men have to fight anger. You know that. Yes, yes. Since yes. upon the garden. I mean, irritation, impatience. Not artly. He was the most patient man I believe I ever saw other than Dick Moore. But dear ones, it, it's beautiful to see that he, 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 here, he, here he owned this business. And for him to go in late, he was very punctual. He paid, paid every bill. It, it was for the kingdom. Whatever was for the kingdom. See, that's what Artley and Ruth were for. They waited for years for this boy. I tell you, it tells you a lot. See, your, your heart is hunger. When you've got fellowship with your child that's been away 10 years, you could still talk yourself out of it if you're not careful. Well, I tell you, we, the, 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 I'm money this, money that. Not hardly. Dad Cullen, no. I, he never lamented once. He, he was always waiting to see what God was going to do with the three of them every morning. See, that's so sweet, dear ones. I can't tell you because, see, businessmen will tell you. There's this, oh, you got to get, the, you got to, and, and it's true. But Artley, no. 
It was the kingdom of God. Yes, it was the best. That, that was what he was hungry for. So I, I'm, I'm lifting up his father because yes, he, he needs we to be honored here. I tell you, this, this man, I say it with every ounce within me. He was the most wonderful man I believe I ever knew other than my own father and grandfather. I mean, never be angry. You know what Mother Ruth said when we wanted something to put on his grave? She never even breathed. You know what she said? Pure gold. I tell you, dear ones, see, it's a blessing. So I tell uh, these grandchildren, these, I, tell, I just try to share it. I said, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got to cultivate the spirit. It's very rare in the earth. It's rare. We know that, dear ones. We that lived over 50 years, we know it's rare. Yes. So we, we need to hear it. We need to cultivate it. We know the possibility, but it's rare. So I just had to share that about your daddy because, Thank and your you, dear Lord. mother. I, I mean, it, it is so sweet, their lives, mm -hmm. what they mm -hmm. wanted to do for Jesus. Dear ones, if we could have time to tell you for that, but we won't. Yeah. But we're, we're giving you hope here tonight. No matter what your situation is, it may not be what John says, but God has it for you. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. See, it doesn't matter if it's salvation. It doesn't matter what it is. God has the solution because he is the solution. He is absolutely has given us all that we need. We, we don't need to be discouraged about anything. We never need to be in a struggle again. We could be in surrender yeah. to this agape so he can flow through these apertures of our attitude, yeah. these apertures of where it is that the church is supposed to be so that we can love each other into being loving and into loving God with what? All of our heart. See, it's what people starve for. I, could, I, I, I don't know what you think, but I can tell that people are starved for love, yeah. unconditional love. Yeah. I know they need salvation. I know they're good. they goofed up. But see, we're not to point that out. Very seldom we're to love that the Holy Spirit. See, if we loved her once, the Holy Spirit did the work. He did that miracle for my husband because his parents were willing to relinquish their hold on him. See, I, I think that's, see that's, in that's so my wife was talking. It's see, so the Holy significant. Ghost is operating my heart when she's talking with power. It's so significant. And this, see, you don't know where John's been. He's been in trust, 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 trust. Faith, 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 faith. Oh, hold on, honey. We're going to make it. See, God is on the throne. He wants to encourage us. Every one of us sees no respect or person, dear ones. No respect or person. He wants to do whatever it is that you need. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's criticism, if it's jealousy, if it's this, if it's that, if it's irritation, yes. it doesn't matter what it is. If we give it to God, there was, oh, That's we got all the hope in the world. That's because it. he'll come. He it may take a while. It'll be at his time. But if we keep rejoicing, in due season we shall reap if we think, yes. faint not. Blessed be his holy name. Thank you. Beautiful. How honored can a, a man and a husband and father be when your companion shares to have the Holy Spirit work in your heart with power, with power. When she spoke this morning, my heart leapt for one of the first time in months. Now, that's not a, com a commentary on whether things were of God, not of God, in order, out of order. I'm not saying that. I'm only saying for me, my one day was this morning when my little sweetheart in a difficult time because it was time to go, we understood that, wanted to obey the Holy Spirit, and she spoke. The kingdom that I live for, that I long for, nothing else matters. Nothing matters. But this kingdom, 
nothing. There's nothing like this joy. I get so lonely for his presence sometimes that I know it's babyish. I know I'm not supposed to go there, but I just miss him. And he was so dear to me in those few early weeks. I can't describe. It was like heaven. It was like heaven to me. He would lead me in little ways. He would take me into the Word and then bring a situation and say, "See, I'm I'm letting you know that I'm I'm aware of your worship." You've heard had that. You've been in the Word and it's been dry and and nothing happens to bring attention to yourself. But someone will sing a song that has just been where you've been walking, and God is saying that I see where you are, child. I see you. I'm trusting you to stay at a distance. But I see you. He confirmed it over and over. I remember still the linotype was sort of like a, uh, one of the last vestiges of the the uh, hard uh, printing before uh, offset printing came in. And it was like a typewriter that brought down little slugs that uh, a metal casting was made, and those were put into forms, and they were actually printed on a paper. It sounds like a century ago, but it was just a. Four, five decades ago, and somehow I was just thinking of my father as I was doing the news, and the Holy Spirit operated in my heart. Oh, I was so excited! I jumped up, I ran around the offices and asked. I came in and stopped at the door, and my father was going through the papers, and he sort of looked up quizzically because I came with such energy. You know, like I thought, oh. Father needs something. Uh, I'm here. I'm ready. You know, I have buckets of water or something. And he was just sitting there quietly going through papers. So there's this moment of awkwardness. He says, uh, "Yes. Ah,、uh, is, is everything all right, Dad? Oh, yeah. I'm just going. You see, fifthly, I was going through some statements here. So, oh, here's one I missed." I said, "Oh, Dad, Dad! I was, <laughs> I was at the line at time. I was seeing you. I was just thinking you guys broke my heart. I was talking so fast. I was just, I was so excited. <laughs> A little six-dollar charge or something, inconsequential on in the earth, but oh, what it meant to me that God, God was. I was walking with God. I was walking with God like Reverend Hillam." Well, over the years, Martha's father had met with Bob and Dorothy Morgan at the campgrounds of the International Convention Church of God. They'd meet out under the trees and have prayer and fellowship, and、uh, had wonderful times. One of the few times that they were able to get together through the years, because the Morgans were often traveling, and their Reverend Helm was traveling, and their paths wouldn't cross. So, in June 1968. Six weeks, four days after my conversion, I was able to be down there once, and that's where St. Louis, your precious pastor and his wife, Carl and Blanche Roundtree,、yeah. heard of this gathering of people who met under the trees, 
and prayed and heard stories of Jesus. Bless us, Andrew. <laughs> You'd love to have been there. Oh, would your heart been happy? Oh, my. Well, that summer, the word began to get out. And Blanche and Carl came and felt what their hearts had been hungry for for years. They went back to their children and said, Joe, Carla, we've seldom demanded anything of you, but we're demanding that you come with us this next time. So Joe and Carla came. Carla had planter's warts on her feet. Jesus healed them out under the trees. Dear Joe, who had sat in services and been disappointed as most precious children of pastors are, he was waiting his time till he became 18 and he was out of there. He was finished with it. He knew exactly what he was going to do and he was on his way out until under the trees the kingdom of God got hold of his heart drew him back and he acknowledged his call to the ministry Lester and Florence Alexander came to those services in the midst of that Bruno says someone someone has a need of healing in their heart a little prayer and one said, oh, Reverend Helmer, that was me. That's, whoa, it was wonderful, wonderful. But this, and he described it very specifically. Mr. Alexander stood up white. He says, Reverend Helmer, my wife doesn't even know I was to the doctor last week. I have exactly this condition you described as you prayed. There was a finger of fire in my heart as you prayed, and I believe God has healed me turned their life around. God was working magnificently, magnificently. What was he doing? I believe he was answering the prayer of the saints of the Church of God who cried out for a revival. Out under those same trees praying, Oh God, send the fire, send the fire like we knew once. Oh, bring the Holy Spirit. I believe he was answering those prayers. This is not to find fault or criticize, but I do believe if the leaders of that convention could have known, oh, that stirs my heart, what God was doing out under the trees. They had shut up the tabernacle and brought it out under the trees. But instead, the enemy fought just the opposite. And that summer, he was escorted off the grounds. And there's great perturbation. Your precious pastor said, Brother Helm, I have influence. I can, I can speak to them. Said, this is not right. He said, Brother Carl, it's all right. It's all right. And again, in God's beautiful humor, on the way out, and in sharing this story, this is not in any way to put a shadow over any leader of the precious Church of God. I don't want any, any residue to think negatively about them. 
They are precious, wonderful people. They were simply in their one day and didn't know it. And we can be in our one day and never know it just as easily. Just as easily. On the way out, escorted on firmly on each arm, from Ohio, Urbana, Ohio, came a pastor and says, Oh, Reverend Helm, stopping them. I don't know whether they recognized what was going on or not. Picture the humor of this. Escorted off by officials. Here comes a pastor. I want you to meet Reverend Ryan from Ashland, Kentucky. Oh, praise the Lord, Brother Helm. I heard a lot about you. Says Brother Ryan. Says, say, uh, I'd like for you to come and hold revival for me. Well, I don't know what these two men on either side were thinking. I would love to have been there. I really would have. But I wasn't mature enough to be there. I would have been a problem if I'd been there that day. And uh, he, he said, as he always says, well, brother, if you'll allow me to pray, I'll come when God leads. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Come anytime God leads you. That was in June of 68. January of 69 in Iceland, Kentucky. Reverend Ryan says, hello. Praise the Lord, Brother Ryan. Yes, praise the Lord. Who, who is this? This is Reverend Lauren Helm in Parker City. God has told me he'll be with me in your congregation on May and he, April, and he gave the dates. Who, who are you again? Oh, Reverend Lauren Helm, I met you at the campground. Oh, oh, Reverend Helm, yeah, yes, yes, yes. That started the one day for the Ryan family. So, so much came out of that time in June. This particular service, the first service I'd been, now you have to understand that I was very, very young in almost every way, emotionally and absolutely spiritually, absolutely a novice at every level. But I was very protective of Reverend Hill because no one else had breathed God into my life. Even my dear parents had no validity with me as much as they loved me. They had no validity. I can't explain it. I say that because I want to instill as much as I can in you and pique my own heart to a heart hunger for a presence of God greater than we now know. And for you to be encouraged that that is not lusting in the flesh. Your pilgrimage, my pilgrimage to the holy things of God will be unique. Everyone will have your own labyrinth, your own tortuous pathway. And in that longing, he will clarify your motives. He will expose the weakness of your flesh. You don't have to be the guardian of your own carnality. 
hunger after God. Raw hunger. Let God teach you. Let him purify your motives. And he will do it. You will find that there is ego involved. Yes. And when that, time, when that one day comes, he will deal with that. But we can't deal with it until his day. But don't squelch the hunger. Err on the side of passion. We are so afraid of men. We are afraid of spiritual men that we seldom can obey in our own congregations. We are waiting for someone to tell us what to do. As your mo- Martha heard your say today, her father was waiting for someone who had such an intimate walk with God that they knew when they were to either speak or do. Most obediences are not talking. Most obediences are obeying, being. Obey, in obeying, it's O-B. Just be, be, the verb to be. O-B, just be. And generally that has to do with an act of love, an act of tenderness. Often obediences have to do with simply doing something we're not comfortable with. Because in working through our discomfort, he is crucifying us to the fears that have come from our own mentors My heart is really stirred. The fear that if we give over, we will be betrayed again. If we step into the unknown, we will be deceived as we've been deceived. We will be mistreated. We will be diminished. How is he going to teach us that he is not like any of our mentors, no matter how wonderful our parents were, our pastors, our superintendents, our principals, no matter how, if we've been blessed with one or two, what a gift. But most of us come out of the earnestness of two human beings doing the very best they can to just make life work. They're messed up, and they mess us up, God isn't distressed, but he doesn't want to leave us messed up. So with every obedience, I am more and more convinced there is a tiny increment of healing of past physical, emotional, spiritual wounds. That's why obediences don't make sense often, because... He knows what he's doing. So that's why obedience is not only critical, it, we've, we've spent almost all our childhood learning how to control our parents. We have become so clever at stroking them. We know how to stroke dad. We know how to help mother. We know how to get around. They're watching. They know how, how long they can hold up before they go. Oh, we're skilled. Good word. Oh. We practice it for years. 
Now we get into the kingdom with a daddy who doesn't play those games. Who has every right to all authority and in that authority is exquisite love. Gracious tenderness. Only healing. But in my 40 years, I've seen very few precious people of God move very far in this emotional healing. We are so wounded that we simply bring our woundedness into the sanctuary and begin to replicate our addictions and our patterns of relationship. So we learn how to stroke the best exhorter, the best prayer, the best giver, the one with influence, the one who's clever. We learn, see it's in us, this deceptive nature. See, we're not mean, nasty people. That's, that's just who we are. We're surviving. Makes sense to survive. But in the kingdom, God is saying, give it up, kids. I'm your protector. You're under my protection. The old defenses are useless here. They're a waste of time. See, and I know by God's grace, I'm not missing a single one in this room. Not I'm missing a single one of us. It's only love. Only love. So my cry, I'm still waiting for the mist to start down out of there. My cry has been for the glory of God to descend on this sanctuary someday. The glory, in that glory, all of our distresses will be dissipated. I know that. So until that, one day we're still mostly in word. But oh, when that word becomes power. So if I can encourage you as I'm trying to encourage myself to give over those areas of the unknown. And you'll know, as Martha said, you'll know when you're in that moment because there will be a struggle. At some level, there will be a struggle. And often the struggle because of them. It's always them. And if it weren't for them, we wouldn't move along this pathway of cleansing very, very well. As Brother John... I always loved it when he said, you quoted Fenelon, God is, God is some amazing word there, fantastic at creating crosses. God is ingenious at designing crosses. That's it. Some of stone, some of bay, some of iron, but some of gold. Yes, yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Still remember that. Beautiful. So I'm <clears throat> coming into the service of the Church of God, and because they at that time were in struggle with, with, with my dear uh, mentor, uh, I, I, just, I just was protective and I thought I had the right to be distant because they didn't understand. And so I wasn't going to be, uh, I wasn't going to be tender to them. I was distant. In my local congregation, I did the best I could to obey, but for the most part, I was reserved. I felt I had the right to withhold full love. 
came into the sanctuary that night and uh, I saw some brothers on the front pew and so I wanted to get down to them. A young woman from Huntington called me and she was there with a precious uh, divorcee or widow with her son and she said, oh, Brother John, would you sit with us? And so my heart was longing always to be on the front row and with them, but I felt, yes, I was to be there. Brother John Conley spoke that night from Ephesians about being seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I still remember the beauty of this magnificent man, quite a pulpiteer. He says, says, this is my pen. No other pen like it. It's my pen. Everywhere I go, my pen goes. I keep it in my pocket, you can't see it. But where I go, it goes. Jesus says, where he goes, I go. It doesn't matter what it looks like, what it feels like. I'm seated in heavenly places. Do you think I was happy? I got so happy with his preaching, I thought I couldn't be happier, happier. We stood up for the altar call. I was so happy. I was so happy. We were singing. I was singing something. I don't know. Guess what happened? Tell me what happened. You can tell me, can't you? What happened? Boom. 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 I'm not going down there. They don't know me. They don't love me. They don't love Reverend Allen. Boom, boom, boom. Got so I'm sure everyone could see. I pulled my jacket over. My heart has never pounded harder in my life. It wouldn't stop. I clenched my jaw. She said, I don't want to go down there. I wasn't convicted about anything. I didn't, nothing in my brain. Just boom, boom. I don't, I don't want to go down there. But I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose you. And when I took that first step out, the glory hit my soul. My hands I was trying to be quiet and unobtrusive. I've never gone to prayer rooms where you're back somewhere. What do they do back there? Never been to one of those. You don't go to an altar where you're safe. They go to a back room. Never been in a back room. (laughs) So here I am, trying to be hidden among these people. Don't don't sure I'm not sure I like them. Making a spectacle of myself, my hands in the air. As I'm going down the aisle, I'd always hated all of these silly phrases you Christians used. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing. Oh, I hated that song. (laughs) What do you think happened on the way down the aisle? Blip, 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 blip. I felt the rain. Dear brother, I felt the rain. Literally felt the rain. Went into the room. I was at the same place I was six weeks before. Buried my head at the altar. Says, what am I doing here? I had nothing to pray about. Didn't have any idea what I was doing there. 
When I walked in, I saw a man out of my past, out of the corner of my eye. Oh, dear God, don't let him go over here. So here I was hanging on, oh God, get me out of here, just like I was six weeks before. Pretty soon I had a hand on my shoulder. Oh, they're going to ask me what I want, and I don't know what I want. They're going to say, what do you need? And I don't know what I need. Says, why are you here? I don't want to be here. So I turned around with dread. And there was a face of my brother-in-law and Reverend Robert Morgan and another dear brother. God sent three of the choicest servants in the world, gave me sweet counsel to go slowly to walk, slowly and humbly with God. Of course, at that time, I, th I thought when you prayed about something, the way wasn't this narrow. It was narrow. You did exactly what was said. Or it was grievous to the Holy Spirit. God understood that. So they prayed and said I was to go home. So I got my Bible. I'm going home. Started home. That meant you don't talk to anyone, you don't say anything, you just go home. I was going home. Oh, Brother John, Brother John. Yeah. Brother Hogue, he says, oh, Brother John, Brother John, I just want you to meet two of my sons and their wives. Inside, I said, I'm supposed to go home. Couldn't tell him that. I had to be honoring to this servant of God. So there I am in the midst of this. I'm supposed to be going home. So, gotta go home. Pretty soon the man I'd seen out of the corner of my walked by. And I said, oh, excuse me. I dismissed him with such rudeness. Ran after this man, stopped him, found out who he was. He began to share something uh, out of his past. And, about our experiences together and and uh, then he got this professorial look and he says well John this this just shows me that train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not differ no I mean it was like that I couldn't shut up I couldn't be gracious. I, I was trying to get home. I was trying to obey God. I began, it just poured out of me. I says, oh no, my dear brother, call him my name. This is the kingdom of God. This is working with men who are laborers. They're everyday common folk. It's the Holy Spirit in their lives, being led by the Holy Spirit. Your daddy, before I was converted, he would be with my brother-in-law, Tom, and Oliver and others. They'd be having fellowship in the Holy Spirit. I'd be sitting there watching. And they'd be saying, oh, that, that touches me, brother. So I watched for a while, and that go on, and I'd jump in between them. <laughs> Didn't feel a thing. <laughs> the hunger, the hunger. Yes, I was trying to tell him about 
how God was using these young men and women who love God. And God was working in the fellowship of the kingdom we never knew anything about. I said, I've got to go. I was so embarrassed. I was so chagrined. I was ashamed. I hit my Bible in the armpit and I started to the car. I was, I said, oh Lord, forgive me for disobeying. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I was disrespectful to him. I'm so sorry I left Brother Hogue. Please forgive me. Oh God, I've got to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom and uh, I'm afraid they're just like it is. There's a stall and a stall, okay? And I'm in a stall and the, I'm supposed to be going home, and pretty soon I'm talking with a man in the next stall. <laughs> Couldn't stop it. Well, I'm so embarrassed leaving that. Just, you're not supposed to talk to people in the restroom. <laughs> this, I was, I've really got to get home. I'm, I'm messing this up awful. So I made it to the car, my father's little old tan station wagon. Opened the car door, looked over. Here was your precious Aunt Ione and Barbara McDaniels getting into the car. Oh, Jesus, they love me so much. I love them. I'd so like to talk with them. Oh, I've got to go home. I got in the car, slammed the door, started the car, and drove off. Turned the corner. And there's a little stand selling slushies. I'm thirsty. Jesus, be all right if I stop to get a slushie? (laughs) Pooey! Never happened before or since. A rocket started from this side of my heart. Pooey! Clear across this side of my chest. I about tore the steering wheel off, getting to the curb. Says, wow! Wow, that kind of witness for a slushy. <laughs> so I, I was happy to get the slushy. I'm standing and this little boy is entertaining with his girlfriends. I must have waited two, three minutes. He didn't even look at me. He was just talking to his girlfriend. I wasn't a bit upset. I was so thrilled with him. He's so beautiful. I mean, I was delirious in God, I tell you. I just obeyed. I stepped out when I didn't know where I was going. I went into a place of jeopardy. I didn't know what I was going for. I didn't know what I needed. I stepped out simply to obey because I did not want to lose this closeness, this fellowship. And if that's juvenile... If that's sense, leaning to the sensate, then I, I'm just a sensate. I've got to have his presence. Yes, sir. To me, there's a vast difference between the inner working and presence of the Holy Spirit and emotion. Oh, yeah. Entirely different world. The fact that they don't even operate, they almost always operate in contradiction. It's hard to describe, but that's, for me, that's the way it's been. Finally, he waited on me, and the, you know, it takes just a few moments for the cold to get through the cup to your hand. Turned around, started down the walk. The cold had hardly gotten to my hand. I looked up, and here came your dear aunt, Barbara McDaniels, dutifully behind her. You know how she, she was so. Here came your aunt. 
stroking that beautiful jaw. Praise the Lord, Brother John. Praise the Lord. If you didn't know I own, you've missed seeing a treasure. Oh, my. She says, Brother John, I saw you go down the aisle with your hands in the air. And I said, oh, Lord, I've got to get a message to Brother John if you could arrange it. I've got to speak to him. And she began to share with me very simply the exact same words that Reverend Robert Morgan shared with me. Go slowly. Go slowly. And she told how in her earnestness, in her early conversion, she became so zealous and got people a little confused and herself confused. What a treasure that God would stop this royal saint and this beautiful handmaid to talk to this little boy, arrange it by the Holy Spirit. See, the, that rocket it was not so insignificant, was it? I needed to hear that double portion of going slow. In spite of that marvelous double portion, I think I tore the rubber off the rims in my first few years trying to go hard after God, but he understood that. Well, was I happy now? Now, you'll have to forgive me because in the midst of this beautiful couple, I says, well, I think we can go now. <laughs> oh, my, it embarrasses me. I think we can go now. Oh. And she just let me go, and I got in the car. Now I'm really going home. I'm a little encouraged that that was obedience and God entered, so I'm a little encouraged now. So I'm happy. I'm praising God, driving this little tan station wagon back home. I was so thrilled with Jesus. And in the midst of this rejoicing and praise, this pain began to come into the very center of my heart, right between these ribs, right here. You know these 10 to 12 inch hat pins that women used to use? That was the image I had of a hat pin. I could feel the pressure, the pain intensifying, began to bend me over like on Star Drive in Boston. And the sorrow and the weeping began to come out of me. Somehow he gave me a sense it was a spiritual burden. All I could do was cry and weep and slowly pull to the side of the road. I don't think I actually stopped. I just pulled. I was in such pain and agony. It had been six weeks and four days. And I did not know the deception was in my heart. The hatred and loathing of the Son of God. But it was there. Too deep for me to ever know. All these days he had been leading me wonderfully placing me in such sweetness and tenderness. But in this agony, a column opened in my body about this big around, almost like an eight-foot organ pipe. Eight, you know those big eight, 16-foot organ pipes? I felt it open in my body. And from my belly, came this voice, Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, by whose blood you are redeemed. It's a huge voice. As the words were spoken, a ribbon came out of my mouth. Either blue letters on a gold ribbon or gold letters on a blue ribbon with those words written. Started around the car, wrapped down around the side, around the back, came around and went right out the ventilator. And with those, that confession by the Holy Ghost, that pain, that suffering, that burden lifted, and instantly, like Jeff knew instantly, I knew that he had confessed out of me a hatred, a loathing for Messiah that I never would have been able to have detected in his mercy. It really works about his mercy. I want you to see how low he stooped for me. To encourage you in your one day, in your one day. That has been the foundation of my walk. When nothing else held true, I can return to those words that he confessed through my heart that will never change. I thank you for listening to this simple testimony. Most of you had no idea from what darkness I came. I'm so thankful that he would take me to this passage one day. For I can prophesy with great ease there is a one day for you. If you continue faithful, believing, passionate, your one day will come where nothing will be the same after that. I encourage you to hunger for the continued work of the Holy Spirit. You will have to press through harassment that you're in the flesh. Part of the difficulty is that what God's servant has told us that we are not to seek Anything, that is true, that's absolutely true. That, that truth exists here absolutely. What I'm saying does not contradict this in my mind. If it contradicts it for you, then that's where you will live. I'm not saying that's a lesser place. We just have to live where we live. But I am calling to those of you who may have a hunger that has not yet been satisfied even in this ministry not to seek another ministry, not to seek in something more exciting or more demonstrative, but just a heart hunger for what God's servant has taught us in the Word. That is to love him with all the heart, but without desire we do not exist as healthy human beings. The first command and blessing rested upon desire of man for woman and woman for man. Desire is not evil. I want to open up the altar tonight for for our hearts just to seek God like little children. Just for us to hunger after him 
If your heart has been stirred, simply obey the Holy Spirit. That's, that's all God wants us to do. And if you don't know what he's dealing with you about, just find a place here. This is Reverend Helms Alder. If you want to come up and, where he was saved, please feel free to do that. I'd like for us just, I know it's probably too late. If I knew how late it was, I'd probably be scared. But uh, I just want you to feel free to obey the Holy Spirit. This is not looking for emotion, not looking for another experience, but if, if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, I, I encourage you to honor that. You may not know what he's doing. You may not know why you're coming. But if the Holy Spirit is working with your heart, I, I wouldn't miss an opportunity. Just to keep my heart warm, keep close to the fire where the altar is. I'd rather go to the altar 20 times when I'm not supposed to by the Holy Spirit than to miss the one time that my one day. Wouldn't it be awful to miss my one day after waiting? Your pastor, Brother Carl, played, prayed for how many years to be sanctified? And after so many years, he sort of gave up, and Reverend Helm was able to pray, and he, he told him how long if he persevered a few more weeks. He would have had his experience, what Brother Carl was longing for, what God wanted to give Brother Carl, of the sanctified experience. So just till the altar is open, Jewel, if you want to place something of a... Softly and tenderly, if you know, you know that. I always love that. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Just feel free to kneel at your, your pew. Just hunger after God. Do you want to thank him for what he's done? If there are areas in your life where you have uh, found yourself stuck, keep your focus on Jesus now. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Look in your own hearts. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't. Yes. Thank you, honey. Thank you. See, the spirit of church is so upon us. When we come to an altar call, can you feel that? That you sort of click in to the altar call mode? See, we need help. We need help to break out of these church patterns. Even the finest of Revival for Day congregations, without God's help, we fall into certain patterns. So I just encourage you to hunger after God, cry out to God, and uh, ju just talk to Him out of your heart. Don't wait on me to do something or say something more clever or more exciting, more meaningful. Just hungry your heart. Seek him where you are. And if there's need for prayer, anyone who needs prayer at any level, whether it's for healing, spiritual healing, if you need further prayer about giving over loved ones, just to seek out some of the servants of God here. If you want to pray for revival for your own congregation, I do know is that we need we need a deluge of passion in our souls. Always terrified me when it was repeated this morning, Brother Emery. I think 
No, it wasn't this morning. Someone repeated recently that the church is living a thousand miles below its privileges. Oh, yes, you did say that the church today is many more times asleep than the disciples were in the garden. See, this is not to depress us. This is not to sadistically beat us over the head. But if our hearts are not stirred to hunger after him more, then it behooves us to pray that our hearts will be stirred. That's not fanaticism. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for hungry hearts. Thank you for this beautiful congregation. Thank you for the privilege of gathering. Here we are still under the umbrella, the impartation of the glory that lived in your servant's soul and his companion. Lord, we don't honor them beyond measure, but we, we are thankful for the honor that's been given uh, this day through uh, dear Rymar, how beautiful it was the privilege he gave us of going on, of being the continuation of the dream and the vision to live out what we've learned. And I speak healing now as much as possible to everyone here. For Lord, we all had dreams of what it was going to mean to be in revival and awakening with Reverend Lord Helm. Oh, how we were anxious to be there to see the souls pour in. Lord, that dream, he did not see that dream fulfilled in his life. And so, Lord, we are, we are the fulfillment of that dream. So we pray for each one in every area of bewilderment and confusion, wondering what do I do now? Where do I go from here? How am I to proceed? I pray that you'd awaken, stir up the first love, stir up the memories of when you sent this servant across their paths. Stir up the memories of the gifts that have been given, the callings that have been declared. Pray that you'd stir us up in remembrance to walk in gentleness and grace as my wife enjoins me always to go by faith and yet never be satisfied until the glory of your presence makes us other than we were the day before. We are believing for an outpouring, a baptism of holy love upon our lives. We are believing for a baptism of power. We're believing you for, for the cleansing to prepare us for a, a vessel that can be trusted with that power. We speak to every heartache that's not been lifted, every confusion that's still lingering, every conundrum that still grips people's lives, whether it's finances or family situations, a divorce, heartbreak. Let the healing come. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this time together. It's been a wonderful time for me. I trust it. As my wife has said, an encouragement for everyone that one day, one day, 
And you will remember, that's what Brother John said one day. I believe this week, some of you will walk into one of your one days. Thank you.